our message today, let's jump into this. We're dealing with essentials. If you have your tablet, a smartphone, you can follow along with version, and everything that's on version is going to be projected up here, so you will be able to follow along with us. Uh, the essentials that we're dealing with are what we need to have in our lives with our walk with God, which is prayer and God's Word. A lot of things we need, but we're emphasizing those two right now, prayer and God's Word. And by the way, I also want to thank those of you who are fasting and praying for these 21 days. We have... Uh, the last 15 days been doing this. We're just about done. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, we're, we're grateful. Not for the prayer side, but for the fasting side. I've lost 10 pounds already, and uh, I know I look amazing, but uh, it's just because I'm fasting. But anyhow, um, we began the series dealing with the essentials of prayer. We've done that for the first two weeks of the series. Uh, the messages were entitled, uh, Prayer Changes Everything. The first week, second week was uh, be strengthened for power. You can go to our podcast anytime, wordoflifeag.org, and you will be able to pull uh, any of those messages. And numbers of number of weeks and months back, you'll be able to go back if you're interested. Uh, today and next Sunday, we're going to be dealing with the essentials of God's Word, the Bible. Uh, in the, the essentials of God's Word in the believer's life, in our lives, and what that would look like. Today's message is, the Bible is true. The Bible is true. Now, this series I'm drawing from a few different places. I like to tell you that as I begin a message and series. Uh, Church of the Highlands, Brooklyn Tab, Gateway Church, and of course Randy Chiz himself uh, did a little bit of digging and got some information that I want to share with you. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think it sounds like a pretty tall order to, for someone to stand up and to say, the Bible is true. The Bible is true. But it is. It is true. Not only do I hope to prove that to you this morning, but also want to unfold for all of us that are here today the fact that I believe the Holy Spirit will make that known to you. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you about things you're going to hear, things you've experienced already here at Word of Life, to prove to you that the Bible is true. And if you would like that to happen, give everybody an amen. Come on, give me an amen. So how do we know that the Bible is true? Point number one is this, because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says so. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 28, and it says these words, And now, O Lord, this is David, and now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. Your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. David said, you are God, and your words are true. Now, I know that if you're not yet a believer, and you're searching for answers, you're beginning to investigate a little bit about who God is, what God offers, all of that. This first point that I'm giving you right now probably doesn't settle all that well with you. The fact that I'm just saying that the Bible says that the Bible is true. That may not impress you a whole lot. I understand where you may be coming from, but I'm going to explain things a little bit better as we go along. But as a Christ follower, as a follower of Jesus, we, uh, we have chosen to put our faith in God and in His Word. And we know, as a result of putting our faith in God and in His Word, we know that God honors His Word even above His name. He honors his word that he gives to us even above his name. Psalm 138 verse 2 says these words, I will worship you, uh, I, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Listen, for you have magnified your word above your name. So if you're a Christ follower, it's good to know that the Bible provi provides some substantial evidence of its authenticity and the immutability of our God. To be immutable throughout the scriptures means he never changes. He's always the same. He will be the same yesterday, today, and forever is what the word of God 
declares he will never change. So Jesus refers over and over, multiple times, he refers over and over in the, book, uh, in, in the books of the Old Testament, the, the word scripture. He refers to the scriptures of the Old Testament over and over again. And that word uh, scripture means inspired inspired. So Jesus authenticates the scriptures by calling them scriptures. In fact, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, three times he had temptations. You need to know it's not wrong for you to be tempted. It's when you give in to the temptation that it becomes sin. Give me an amen. So Jesus was tempted three times by the devil to sin, and Jesus would defeat the temptation and the tempter by the scriptures. He would say all three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. He would be using the scriptures against the forces of darkness and against their warfare. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And it says these words, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Hold that thought right there. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. More about that in a second. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17. That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says, Scriptures are, are uh, profitable and beneficial. The Bible has been been given to us by the inspiration of God. I told you to hold on to that word. All scripture, uh, excuse me, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Just so you know, that phrase, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is actually just one Greek word. The one Greek word is theonuso. Theonusto. Theo, of course, means God, and nuso means breath or breathe or air. And, uh, so it literally means it uh, literally means that all scripture is God breathed. It's God breathed. Uh, and this is what it means in the Greek. It's all scripture is God breathed. Now think about this for a moment. When you and I speak, we breathe. And as we're speaking, you're breathing out. I'm breathing out right now as, as you speak. So every now and then while you're speaking, you got to stop for a second, catch your breath, and go right back at it. Uh, as you were doing. And of course, after all my years, I'm a very old man at 62 years old, and uh, after all my years and many people that I've been involved with, you know, I've met quite a few people who have learned to conquer taking a breath. In other words, they're able to speak on and on and on and on and never breathe. I can't figure it out, but so many people do that. And I don't think you're one of them at all. It's people in the other church that I'm talking about. They're like that. But anyhow, we, we find within the scripture that, that uh, we are to breathe. We do breathe as we speak. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any inter private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men, holy men of God, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word prophecy that they're using there, of course, is the prophecy of the scripture itself. And what this verse is telling us is that, so God spoke and man wrote what they were inspired by God to write. God spoke. He breathed. There was the inspiration of God. God spoke. And as a result of that, men of God, holy men, would begin to write what it was that they were told to write. So some may wonder, well, why is it important that it needs to be written? 
Well, I actually believe that you believe a little bit more in the written word than you do just the verbal word. Many of you, I think, believe in that even more because when you enter into a contract or when you enter into an agreement with someone, um, you, desire, you, desire to have, you, you desire to have it in writing. Uh, we, Marianne and I just updated our will here uh, just before we went off to Israel back in, in April. And, uh, you know, we wanted to update it. Our son has passed. And uh, he was the executor of the will, and, and now whoever's the best kid that I've got left, they're going to be the executor of the will. Haven't decided that yet, but anyhow, you know, there's certain things that you want in writing, certain things that you want to know for sure that, that it would be accurate and, uh, and, and that you, you have it as a legal bind, binding. The same is for us as believers and followers. Listen, God is making promises to you and I. He's made all kinds of promises. He's promised you and I that we, would, we could be saved if we would believe on Jesus. He told us that our sins would be forgiven. Our sins would be as far as the east is from the west to God. He's promised us that, that uh, someday when we die, we're going to go to heaven. He's promised all those things. And it wasn't just verbal. Now you see it in this book right here. You can see that God wrote down for you and I to be able to understand all of his promises that he has for us. Give the Lord a round of applause for his faithfulness to us. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Let me tell you a quick story. The story is um, that there was this doctoral student that was doing his dissertation or his thesis. And uh, he, he disagreed with the dissertation process. So he decided that he was going to make a point of this during his, present, his uh, dissertation so he would, make, he would make a profound statement. And then he would say, as told me by the waiter in such and such a restaurant. He's given his dissertation and he, he says, as told me by this such and such waiter at this restaurant. And then he goes on and proves another point. He, he, he starts talking about another uh, incredible uh, uh, reality that he was dealing with and, and uh, that would be profound. And then he would say, as told me by the bellhop of such and such hotel. Well, after a little while, the professor interrupted him and stopped him and said to the student, you can't do this with a dissertation. You have to have written footnotes. You have to have written documentation, documentation to prove that you are saying what you are saying. You can't just say, as told by the waiter or as told by the bellhop. You can't do that. Well, the student responded. And he said, why, why, why does, why does it have to be written down? Why is it more important that it is written than what is verbally said? So the professor looked at the student and says, okay, I guess I know where you're going with this. Proceed. So the student went on with his dissertation. A few months later, the professor contacted the student and said to him, hey, I want you to know that we passed you and that you're going to receive your PhD, but we're not going to give it to you in writing. The professor said, you just have to take our word for it. <laughs> it's so important that we have the written word. The written word. So, point number one. Why do I believe that the, uh, that the Bible is true? It's because the Bible says so. It says that it's true. Point number two. Got three points this morning. Point number two is the Bible is amazing. This is my favorite one. The Bible is amazing. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for it says, For the word of God is living and powerful. Did you hear that? The word of God is living 
powerful, the Bible says. And sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Bible is amazing. And the Bible says the word of God is living and it is powerful. I want to be very upfront and transparent with you at this moment. And that is about 90% of what I'm going to be sharing with you in this second point is coming from Robert Morris. Robert Morris, it's, it's profound. The guy is profound, and this is profound. I'm going to share much of what he says because it's incredible. You may not know how amazing the, the book, this book, the Bible, really is. Just to compare and not speak ill of other religions at all, not looking to do that, but to just bring a comparison before us. Did you know that the book of Judah, uh, Judah, the book of, of Buddha, B, not J, the book of Buddha, um, all it, it, it is nothing but all sermons of one man. The book of Buddha is sermons by just one person, one man. The book of Quran, the book of Quran, that too was written by just one man, one man. And then brought to light posthumously, which means after he died, and, and uh, again, it was written by just one man, just one man. But this is cool, the Bible. The Bible is 66 books written by 40 men over 1,500 years. Over 1,500 years. And, and there's a single thread that runs through the entire book, the whole Bible, all 66 books. It's absolutely amazing. I'm going to say this a total of three times because I want it to penetrate. I want it to go deep within you. I want you to listen to what's being said. This is the most important thing you need to be paying attention to right now. Not your phone, not other people, not other things. Listen to God's word. This is good for us. This is good for us. It's absolutely amazing. They began writing the Bible in about mid-14th century B.C. and continued into the late 1st century A.D. So, it is written. It is written over 1,500 years, 40 different writers, 66 different books make up the Bible. 39 of them are of the Old Testament. 27 of them are of the New Testament. And the collusion factor is a miracle. The agreement... The involvement of all of the words that are being shared, all that is written in the scriptures. It is incredible. It is a miracle. This book is a real miracle. That 1,500 years, 40 different writers, 66 different books, and there is a thread through the whole thing. That alone should mean something to you. That alone would make you look at this book and say, I can't believe how incredible this book really is. It is amazing. Please give me an amen. amen. And then the prophecies are amazing that have already been fulfilled, like Isaiah and Micah. Just let me use a couple of illustrations with this. It would be Isaiah that would prophesy about a virgin birth. What is a virgin birth? He didn't have any clue what that was. Nobody understood what that would mean. But look it up for yourself. You'll find it in the scriptures. There would be a virgin birth. Then there would be Micah who prophesies and names the city in which the Messiah would be born in. 700 years before it took place. It was prophesied 700 years. How about King David? King David wrote about the crucifixion. 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified. In fact, you may or may not know this, but the first person in human history that ever was crucified 
was crucified on 497 B.C., about 500 years after David prophesied about crucifixion and 500 years before Jesus himself would be crucified on the cross. David writes about the, the Jesus crucifixion and goes into some great de details again a thousand years before Jesus was even born. And of course, Isaiah talks about it as well. It's amazing. It's amazing. Would you tell somebody next to you, God is really good? Come on, God is really good. There may be some who are thinking, what does a mess uh, messianic scripture mean? What does that talk about? Well, of course, the scriptures in the Old Testament that would end up pointing to Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is the Son of God. Again, give me an amen. amen. Let me give you another incredible point with all of this, dealing with, with the uh, messianic uh, prophecies. Uh, Daniel. Daniel writes 500 years B.C. Let that settle in. Be thinking about the Bible. Be thinking about what you're hearing and learning today. This is important. Daniel writes 500 years B.C. Listen to this. Daniel, he writes about a, an, an empire that is great and will dominate the world. And it is, it is suddenly cut off. Suddenly cut off. And it divides into four empires. Then the four divide into two empires. And then the two divide, uh, divide into one empire. That's what is declared with, the, with this prophecy, and then the Messiah comes. And Daniel wrote this 500 years, 500 years before Jesus was here on earth. Doesn't that blow your mind? It will blow your mind when I go over that one more time. Just so you know, that was what Daniel said 500 years before Jesus was born. History says, history tells us that this blows my mind even more. Fast forward to 300 B.C. And you have the empire of Alexander the Great who dominated the world. Alexander was killed at 32 years old. And suddenly he was the one who was cut off. Then his kingdom was divided among his top four generals and became four different empires. Then those became two empires. The four became two. The Seleucid and the Ptolemaic empires that were there. And then there were, there were uh, two empires who became one. Would anybody want to guess what that last empire was? Anybody? The Roman Empire. Of course, it is the Roman Empire. Uh, that history, history declares, as the prophet Daniel had talked about, uh, that, that Roman Empire. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Pretty inc incredible. In matter of a fact, you may not be impressed with this, but the, the historians were confounded by Daniel's writing. They were amazed at how accurate, how accurate and detailed this prophecy, this uh, prophecy was. So people may ask, well, how do you know the Bible's true? How do you know that? Well, let me ask you a question if you're thinking that. How do you know that it's not? How do you know? How do you know that it's not? So let me say this. It would be easy to prove that the Bible's not true. It would be easy to do that. Very easy to do. It could be as easy as Jesus telling us about a city. He names a city in one location, but yet it's not there. It's easy to figure that out. It's easy to find out if that's true or not. Or maybe another thing that maybe, maybe Jesus would say, you know, there's a city. This city is 100 miles from here to there. And then you find out that it's not 100 miles. It's 350 miles. It's easy to find out and to, to, to find where there's a fraud or where, where it would not be true. It's rather easy 
to find false, untrue facts and statements and events about people. But you can't. You can't falsify the Bible. You just can't. Listen to this. Dr. Bruce Metzer from Princeton Theological Seminary said this. Listen, now listen. After you take the 20,000 lines out of the New Testament, it is safe. It is safe for any scholar to say, hear this, that 99.6% of the Bible has been corroborated by other historical documents. Did you hear that? That 99% of the Bible has been validated, has been documented by other historical documents. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. What a great thing. So you have to understand this. It's history. History confirms this, that other historical documents confirm that what was written in the Bible is true. It really happened, what is written in the Bible. It's truly amazing. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus came. 3,500 years since, since uh, they began to write the Bible. And there's been no book that's been more studied, no book that, that's been more scrutinized, and it has always been proven true every single time that anybody would like to, to dispel or to try to dispute the truth of what, that, what the Word says. It's been, it's been uh, proven to be true. You can't falsify the Bible. Voltaire. The French philosopher, he died in the 18th century or the late eight, uh, 1700s and said, in 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. And just so you know, just so you know, Voltaire is dead and gone and the French uh, Bible Society now owns his house. <laughs> just saying. The Bible is the single best-selling book of all times. Let's talk about the mathematics. The mathematical odds. Uh, we're going to go for some reason and logic. Those of you who are still saying, you know, you're dabbling too much with the faith kind of thing. I don't know if I believe you got to give me more proof. I'll give you more proof. I'm glad you asked for it. The mathematical odds, that 66 books over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, a single thread going through it all would be as congruent as these books are. Those odds are astronomical. Astronomical. In fact, I'm going to tell you in just a moment that those who have done the odds said, we can't take it any further than this. It's beyond our comprehension. But before I get there, nuts, I gave you a punchline before I got to it. Dr. Peter Schofer, uh, professor of America's professor of science uh, out of Edom, uh, Edmonton University. He says these words. He decided that he wanted to do a study. And he got approval to, to do this through um, his, his, his uh, university. And they, they, uh, they did a study with 12 different classes that would be representing over 600 students. And they decided that what they were going to do was to study the mathematical odds of the messianic prophecies. That was their goal. They wanted to understand that. They wanted to deal with the odds of all of that. So the first, they, uh, the first thing that they decided to do was to take just one of the messianic prophecies. And that is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That was the one thing they wanted to deal with. They simply took the population of Bethlehem and the population of the world at that time, and their findings were this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Jesus had a 1 in 300,000 chance of being born in Bethlehem. Their studies were that. It was just simple. But then all of a sudden, one of the students steps forward and says, hey, we forgot. 
We forgot to take into account in our scientific study the fact that Jesus didn't even live there. He didn't even live in, in uh, Bethlehem. So think about that for a moment. What would be the odds of him being born in a city where his family doesn't live? What would be the odds of that? And listen, let's go deeper. They went deeper, so I'm giving you their information. And there, there would be a census that would go out from a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. And that his parents would travel at the exact time when she's nine months pregnant and she delivers. She delivers that baby in Bethlehem that Micah talked about 700 years before it actually happened. The numbers were astounding. As they began to add these things with filters through the, the odds of all of this happening, it was getting out of sight. It was becoming crazy for them. So then they decided that because there are 54 prophecies, which would be mess, uh, messianic prophecies, by the way, you're going to hear different versions of numbers. If you ever have a little thought toward this at all, the best way to say, the, the best theological way to say that is that there were over 50 messianic prophecies and over 300 references. But there were actually 54 messianic prophecies. And just so you know, Jesus fulfilled all 54. He fulfilled all 54. And they said that they couldn't calculate that number. They couldn't come up with that number, so they had to, they had to change it a little bit. They had to make it more manageable so what they did was they took eight eight messianic prophecies that history was telling them was true in other words they set aside the bible when they got into this they did this we're not going to look at what the bible says we're going to look at history so they began to look at history the historical documents of that day would confirm and they actually uh, completely left the bible out of that so they decided to figure what are the odds of one person that could fulfill all eight Eight of those prophecies. Now remember, there's more than eight. There's 54, but they're doing just eight. So they did their mathematical calculations, and they submitted to the American Scientific Affiliation, and this is what the American Scientific Affiliation said these words. Listen, listen. They verified that the calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to science. In regard to science. Not to the Bible, but to science. In regard to the science. So here's the number that they came up with. And I know uh, many of you have seen this number, a number. I've shared this number a couple, three times over the last few years. But you're going to get to see it again. I just think it's absolutely wonderful. So stinking cool. And here we go. The mathematical odds of Jesus fulfilling simply eight, not all 54, even though he fulfilled all 54, eight of the prophecies uh, that history, and not the Bible tells us, but history says has been fulfilled, says... The odds were 1 in 10 to the 17th power. 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Go to the next slide because I want you to see the number. <laughs> that, is it really 1 quatillion? I, did somebody wrote that in there? I don't know if that's true or not. It is? It really is? Wow. I, di I didn't think there was an answer. So anyhow, what that is is that it is 1 with 18 zeros behind it. And I was going to say, they don't even have a name for it. But I guess they do. I guess they do. And thank God that uh, I was embarrassed and humiliated in front of my whole church. Okay. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Remember. Remember what was said earlier. The calculations were accurate and dependable according to, according to the American Scientific Affiliation, which, was, which is not a, a religious organization at all. It's a university. And they say it is, it is accurate. So they decided that that is even hard to understand. All of those numbers, that is even hard to understand all of that. We can't compute that. 
Come on, I got to go faster. I know I'm in a little bit hurry, but I got to go a little bit faster. So hang with me. So here's what they decided to do. They decided that what they would do is take silver dollar coins. Take silver dollar coins and, and, uh, and, and that they would stack them side by side across the whole state of Texas. Stack every one of them. Uh, Texas is one of the largest states of our union. And, uh, and they would stack them all across that, that uh, against the, I was going to tell you a joke, but I don't have time to tell you a joke. So we're going to go into this. So Texas, of course, as you know, is very large. So if you took the silver dollars, every silver dollar, and had them touch each other side by side across the entire state to cover the entire state of Texas. And if those, if those stacks were that tall, were two feet tall, uh, let, me, let me read this while I'm holding, holding this. Uh, the stacks would be two feet tall. Again, what they're doing is that they're illustrating the one in ten to the 17th power. Those stacks would be two feet tall. That's how big of a number that one in ten to the 17th power actually really is. And they would put a mark on one of those silver dollars. One of those silver dollars. Two feet tall, stacked, touching each other as they're stacked across the entire state of New York. Then you would blindfold that man and put him in the middle of Texas and tell him walk in any direction that you would like <coughs> for as far as you want to go. And at some point you are to reach down and you're to pick a coin and see if that would have the marker on that, the mark on that, that would say this is that chance you have won or you've, you've made it. So now you begin to understand that those are the odds of getting that man to get that silver dollar. Those are also the odds of Jesus fulfilling all eight of those prophecies. And he did 54. And they say, it's impossible for us to calculate that. It's impossible for us to come up with a number. So how do I know that the Bible is true? Number one, because God, the Bible says so. Number, number one is God says so. Number two is, is that the Bible is amazing. These facts, these historical facts, mathematical, messianic uh, prophecies, all of this is amazing to me. My last and final point is, is that I'm personally related to the author of the Bible. I am. I literally am. I am related to the author of the Bible. In John chapter, chapter, um, John chapter 3, verse 2, beloved. Now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I go to a second scripture. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And his heirs according to the promise. Abraham's seed. You and I are related. If you have given your life to Jesus... If you have believed him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, if you made him Lord and leader of your life, you too are related to the author of this book. So I've given you scientific, logical reasoning that the Bible is true. But listen, church, at some point in your walk with life, you're going to have to take a step of faith. I didn't say a leap of faith. I said simply a step of faith. Because the common thread that went through all of the scriptures, all of what we are talking about with about the common thread does not point to the assemblies of God. It does not point to the, to the Methodist church, to the Baptist church, or to the Catholic church. That thread points to one name, 
both in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, the one person, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures. In them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. He said, the scriptures testify of me. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And lastly, John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only, uh, the, the only son, the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. So how do you know the Bible is true? The reason why we know it is because the word became flesh. The word. The word became flesh. This, this ended up becoming flesh. This is flesh before us. And he lived among us and walked on this earth. And Jesus was no charlatan. He was not a crazy man. Jesus said that he would die for the sins of the world. And on the third day, he would rise again. Some would argue, but he didn't die. He wasn't really truly dead. Yes, he was dead. And I can prove it to you. A Roman soldier put a spear into his heart, and the Bible says blood and water flowed. And you can read any medical report you want on all of that, and you will see how you know for sure that Jesus was dead. That person is dead when water and blood flow from the heart. Jesus said that he would die, he would be buried, and he would rise from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he was seen by over 500 different people. I want to let you know, Muhammad, Muhammad is still in his tomb. Buddha is still in his tomb. But after 2,000 years, the archaeologists have, have never found the body of Jesus. Never once have they found what they claim to be the body of Jesus because he's not there. He has risen. Would you stand with me to your feet, please? You will find in your notes there are questions, questions that I was going to conclude and ask you ran out of time. So I'm going to ask you to read over those questions and look up every one of those scriptures. Is the scripture answering the question or proving the question to be right or wrong? So would you, would you, um, would you please do that? If I could have our intercessors please make your way down front. We're going to conclude with our final and last song. And as we do that, we want to make an opportunity for anybody and everybody. You don't have to be a member at Word of Life to be prayed for. So if you have a need, if you have something that you would want God to do in your life, these intercessors who are going to stand along here, they've been praying for the last 45, 50 minutes in my office area for you, for this service, that God would make himself known to you and bless you and meet your need. For those of you who may be not quite sure if you believe in God yet, pray for you too, that you would make a decision to begin to believe on Jesus, to change your life. And you can go to this book. It's dependable. You can go. History tells us that. Science tells us that. And the Word of God tells us that. It's incredible. So I encourage you to do that. As we begin this last and final worship song, feel free to just get up out of the seat and come on down and be prayed for. Go back to your seat, and I will re release you as soon as the song is over. Let's go. Amen.